point I would invite you to turn with me to that portion of scripture we read. Acts chapter 3, really looking from verse 11 onwards. Okay, I was reading this week an interview with a footballer. An interview where this guy, this footballer, he spoke of the the practical jokes that were played on him by his fellow players and teammates. And uh, these guys, they didn't like the fact that this player in question, as they saw it, was a bit of an intellectual. Okay? Which I think actually means that this guy would like to occasionally maybe read a book or two, something like that. But they didn't like it, these teammates. And uh, so on one occasion, what they did was, without his knowledge, they got a pair of scissors and they cut out the very, very last paragraph of this huge, long novel that this poor guy had uh, been reading. And, and the player spoke in this interview of, you know, his dismay. He'd been reading this great book for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And now, in his words, he was unable to properly grasp the story because of the absence of a few crucial words. Okay? Now, uh, a great practical joke, if you like, perhaps. But I do think that, that, that the player's words there could actually be spoken of the book of Acts. Couldn't they? Because you see, when we consider Acts, if, if we fail to have just a few key words in our minds, then what's going to happen is that we are going to fail to grasp really the, the, much of the book as a whole. You see, in chapter 1 and verse 8, what happens is we are told effectively what is going to come next in the book of Acts. There, in chapter 1 verse 8, we are told that Acts is going to be about the disciples of Jesus witnessing about Jesus first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. That that is how this book that we've got here is going to be structured. And of course that means that what we've got before us this morning, what we're looking at today in the first part of Acts is not about the advance of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. Okay, what we're looking at today is not about the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth. What you're looking at, what I'm looking at today is about the advance of the gospel in the city of Jerusalem. And that is something that hopefully we will see is crucial to understanding these verses in Acts chapter 3. So, with the, our theme for today, that it is all about Jesus, it is all about Jesus, with that theme in our minds, let's now turn to the text here, and let's consider together our first point, and that is that the speaker the speaker was all about Jesus. The speaker was all about Jesus. Now, um, we know, don't we? We've just read it. We know what the situation was. We know what the background was to these verses, don't we? So we've got Peter, and he has just healed this crippled man. This man who was, what was he, suffering from this sort of debilitating congenitive um, ailment. He has been healed, 
Right? And he's been healed to the extent that now he's able to, to, to follow or walk with Peter and John into the temple. And he's not just able to do that, is he? I mean, he's able to do that walking. And what was the other thing we saw last week? He's jumping. And he is praising God. Now, that's great. But what we need to notice is that that miracle that Peter's just performed, it has drawn a crowd. I mean, people are attracted to this, aren't they? And these people who are familiar with this guy, familiar with the cripple. Think about it. You know, it's people who are going to walk past this guy thousands of times on their way into the temple. They see that guy now jumping. And so what do they do? You see it? They run towards him to find out what on earth is going on. But clearly... Their attention is actually specifically not on the cripple. Their attention, if you see it, is actually on Peter and John. So the crowd come running. They, they boost into the temple courtyard. They run towards these guys. But they're focused on Peter. Peter has to say to the large gathered crowd, why, 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 why are you looking at us? So think about it. A crowd focused on Peter. And friends, what I would dearly love for you to see and appreciate this morning, this is one of the main things that we will consider. Consider how Peter redirects that attention. You see it? The attention's on him. But see that Peter redirects that attention. Because you see, that moment in this temple, in this covered courtyard, is true, isn't it? Peter is the man. You know, Peter's the the dude here. You know, every eye in this place is focused on that guy. You know, he's got the crowd on tenor hooks. Every eye is focused on him. But he doesn't just sort of stand there in front of all these people and just soak it up, does he? I mean, it's not like Peter basks in the glory of this healing. It's not that he's just pausing and and chilling out and enjoying the, the limelight, is he? Not a bit of it. You see it, look, immediately, without a second thought, what does he do? He moves the focus from him, and he moves it, where? To Jesus Christ. Look what he says, he says, why do you stare at us? The God of Abraham has glorified his servant Jesus. He, 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 he redirects, if you like, or he diverts, or maybe even you could say he deflects the crowd's attention, and he deflects it to Jesus Christ. But note that he doesn't do that just to explain the miracle, does he? I mean, he doesn't sort of deflect all this tension away to Jesus just to show that it wasn't Peter's power, but Jesus that has healed this cripple. That's not what he does. I mean, he is going to tell them that. He's going to give Jesus all the credit for this miracle. He will do that, but he waits. It's not for a few verses that he does that. See, what does he do before he tells him about the miracle? Do you see it? Peter grasps the opportunity. I mean, Peter seizes the moment of all this attention. And what does he do? He presents to the crowd some of the key events of Jesus' ministry. He presents to the crowd 
some of the key moments of the gospel. Look at it. See, before he speaks about the miracle, what does he speak of? He speaks about the, the suffering of Jesus. He speaks about the betrayal of Jesus. He speaks about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. So what we've got is Peter redirecting attention away from himself and to where? To the glory of the risen Christ. Now, hear this and hear it well. You see, we live today in a culture that is in and exists in complete antithesis to Peter's attitude here, do we not? I mean, Peter lives to deflect attention away from himself. Now, what is our society like? It is obsessed with sucking in that attention to the individual and to ourselves, isn't it? I mean, we in the 21st century, we live in a selfie society, don't we? I mean, we live in a, in a culture that is all about self-promotion. I mean, just think with me about our TV shows. Think about the X Factor, or what's that, what's that other one? Uh, Britain's Got Talent. Okay, well, these shows, they, they, they demonstrate, or they show us, snaking crowds of thousands of hopefuls, all desperate just for a little bit of the spotlight. And then the internet. You know, the internet has made it easy for us to promote ourselves all the more, hasn't it? You know, with our newfound ability to upload videos of ourselves to Facebook, you know, or upload loads of pictures of ourselves to, 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 to Facebook. And I think you could probably argue as well that popular music has changed, hasn't it? You know, from decades ago, songs about maybe protest, Maybe songs about unrequited love to songs today that basically say, check me out. Look how much money I have got. Look how many cars I have got. Look how many girls I can get. We are perhaps more than at any other time before us firmly immersed in this look at me culture. This selfie society. And so please, I urge you today, just look at Peter. Look at Peter and see that the Christian life must hold entirely different values to that. That instead of us in here, as a congregation, sort of blindly sort of following this pervasive self-promotion of society, that we consider the apostle and we see that the Christian life is in essence about what? The Christian life is, in essence, about redirection. Then everything we do, everything we do, that it isn't about us. That in everything we engage in, that it is about the glory of Jesus Christ. That if attention is on us, that it must be just because of our, 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 our good works, like, like Peter here with his cripple. But then we take that attention... And we direct the people to the foot of the cross. Friends, I I really hope that you see this and you see it clearly that what we've got here under Solomon's colonnade is a paradigm. We've got here a pattern for Christian 
life. We live not for our own attention, but we live to direct attention to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What we've got here in Acts 3 is a speaker, and it is a speaker who is all about Jesus. Okay, secondly, I've seen that the speaker was all about Jesus. Secondly, let's consider that the scriptures are all about Jesus. The scriptures are all about Jesus. Okay, let's go back to the text. Now, we've seen uh, that Peter has taken this miracle, the cripple, and the resultant intrigue. And he's used that situation to speak about God and God's action in Jesus Christ. We get that. But there's something we need to notice about the manner and the way in which Peter does that. Now, it's something that we spoke about at the beginning of the sermon. If you can remember what we were talking about at the beginning of the sermon. Because in this speech, this sermon... In the city of Jerusalem, what we've got and what we're, what we're reading and studying here is actually a very Jewish presentation of the gospel. It's a very, very Jewish presentation of the gospel. Okay? Do you see what I mean? No? Okay. Observe the way Peter addresses the crowd. What does he say? Name of Israel. Observe, then, the way that Peter speaks about God. What does Peter say about God? He calls him God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, God of our fathers. Then note especially how Peter speaks of Jesus Christ. What has God said to have done? God is said to have glorified his servant Jesus glorified his servant Jesus. Right, okay, that might not mean too much to us in here. Glorified his servant Jesus. But come on, think about it. To a first century Jewish crowd, glorified his servant Jesus. This would have jarred with them, right? I mean, this would have sent these Jews right back to Isaiah 52. And to the glorification and the exaltation of this suffering servant. And it's the same... The other title for Jesus here. Look, the Holy and Righteous One. Another Messianic title. Do you, do, do you see what, what's happening here? Do you see what, what Peter is doing here? He's speaking to the Jews. And he's showing these Jews that Jesus of Nazareth was the one that they were waiting for. That Jesus of Nazareth was the one that the Old Testament that their scriptures had been pointed to. And maybe you think that's tenuous. Maybe you think that Peter's just hinting at that in the first part of his sermon. Well, man alive, look how explicit it is in the second half of his sermon. Look what he says. He says effectively to these Jewish people, he says, it is all. All of scripture is about Jesus. Like, verse 17. God foretold the sufferings of Jesus of Nazareth in all of the prophets. Verse 21. Jesus of Nazareth, this man, 
was promised long ago by the holy prophets. Verse 22, Moses spoke of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 24, Samuel and all the prophets thereafter, they testify to what? To these days, the days of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Everything, Peter says to this Jewish crowd, everything in Scripture is about this man who has just been put to death. It is about Jesus of Nazareth. But I would urge you that when you're reading this, that you don't think of this as, you know, some sort of dry lecture that Peter's given to these people. It's not. You know, as he goes through, you know, where Jesus appears in the Old Testament, it's not done in a sort of uh, mechanical or, or dry way. This is not a lecture Peter's given these people. Do you see? He's speaking to his own people. And it's heartfelt, you know. It's from the heart. It's an evangelistic appeal that he's given these people. Why is it an evangelistic appeal? Because Peter can see that by this crowd not recognizing Jesus of Nazareth for uh, for who he was, that what they were doing was rejecting, that they were renouncing their own longed-for Messiah. See it four times in these short verses. Four times Peter says that by not seeing that Jesus of Nazareth was spoken of in Scripture, by allowing him to be put to death four times, this crowd is accused of disowning or denying the Christ. Now, at that, here we go, please allow me to pose to you this morning just a couple of quite critical, quite crucial questions, okay? Two questions. Please think about these. Number one, firstly, when, when you read your Bible at home, which I'm, sh- I, I'm sure that everybody does, but if you, and when you read your Bible at home, are you seeing Jesus? When you read your Bible, are you seeing and understanding Jesus? See, when I studied at the the Free Church of Scotland College a few years ago, um, we had a a good lecturer, a teacher, and he always used to repeat the same sort of thing to our crowd, uh, to our class. Um, He said this a number of times. He said, you know, when you've got something important to say to a congregation or to an audience, what you must do First of all, as you tell the congregation what it is that you are about to tell them. And the second thing that you do is that you tell the congregation what it is that you have to tell them. And then the third thing that you must do is you tell the congregation what it is that you have just told them. And it's quite good, isn't it? But do you see that that is what God has done for us with Christ in scripture. Do you see it? I mean, he has foretold the coming of the important event. And then he has told us all the details and the significance and the meaning of that important event. 
And then he has told us afterwards more about the eternal significance of it. So are you struggling? You know, are you, when you go to your Bible at home and you're going through your devotional notes and you're in the Old Testament, are you finding some of that stuff really, really difficult? Are you finding it almost at times kind of impenetrable? Would you see that what we've got here in Peter's address to the crowd is the key to all that? We read the Old Testament, we read Scripture, and we see and understand Jesus. We read these things, and get this, we don't read them in isolation. We read it as part of God's wonderful, redemptive plan that reaches its its zenith and apex in Jesus Christ. Now, think about it. Is that how you really are reading Scripture, reading the Old Testament? Do you read it like that? When you read Genesis, do you see that the seed of the woman points to Jesus of Nazareth? Do you? And do you see, when you read of Noah, do you see that the ark of salvation, it points to Jesus of Nazareth? Do you see that Ruth's kinsman redeemer, it points to Jesus of Nazareth? Do you see Jonah's fish of deliverance? Do you see it points to Jesus of Nazareth? That he is the everything and the everywhere of scripture. And only through him will we understand the riches and the beauty of the word of God. But the second question is to any here who are simply not Christians. They've not professed faith in Jesus Christ. Can I ask you this? Do you see that you are making the same mistake as the Jewish crowd makes here in Acts chapter 3? The same mistake that the Jewish crowd's making here. You see, what's happened to them? The, The words has come. The Old Testament scriptures have come to them and they have spoken very clearly of a suffering Messiah and what have they done? They have denied that, and they have denied him. But get this, follow me in this. We're told at the end of this section here that the gospel came, there's a crucial word here, the gospel came first to those Jews. Remember what we said at the beginning of the sermon? The gospel was going to go to Jerusalem but then it was going to go out. And it was going to go to all the nations of the world. And do you see what the truth is? You now have this. You have the gospel. I mean, look around you in this church building. There's Bibles everywhere you look. Everywhere you have God's word. And it tells you clearly there that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Christ. So please, I urge you, do not make the same mistake as the crowd. Do not deny Jesus, the one that all of Scripture speaks about. So we've seen that the speaker in Acts 3 was all about Jesus. 
And we've seen that the scriptures, they are all about Jesus. Please, will you walk with me? Will you follow me on this last and third point? And that is that the consummation will all be about Jesus. The consummation will all be about Jesus. So again, picture the scene we have here. So Peter is in the temple. And let's say that he's at the side of the temple because it's Solomon's colonnade. And he's got all these people before him who have been attracted by this miracle. Seas of people. And he has spoken to them. And he has just underlined for them what? Their culpability. Hasn't he? That God has promised a suffering saviour. And that saviour has come. And they have rejected him. So surely the, the question that arises for this large crowd is what now? You know, they've sinned. And they have denied Jesus as the Christ. What, what now? Are they beyond help? Are they beyond salvation? Well, what Peter does here is he not only tells them how to be saved, but he also tells them, and it's amazing, he tells them exactly what that salvation will look like. He tells them what that salvation will involve. So look, verse 19, like clear as day. What does Peter do? He announces the only way of salvation. Do you see it in verse 9? What does he say to these people? Does he say? He says, repent. He says, friends, brothers, repent. Repent and turn to God. So he exhorts these Jews to turn. And to turn away from denying Jesus. And to turn to accepting Jesus Christ. To accept and believe that this man, he's talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. To see that his death was the death to end. Death. To see that his is the name above all other names. But more than that, it's more than a call to repentance... Because Peter shows the Jews what that repentance will will lead to. What salvation will involve. And he says three things. And if anything this morning, I would urge you to let these three things soak into your soul. Because what he says here is beautiful. Do you see the three things? Verses 19, 20, 21. Ready for them? One. He says that if the crowd repent, their sins will be wiped out. Isn't that a marvellous promise? Just let that sit there. Your sin will be wiped out. The language is from that idea of, of blotting out of ink on ancient manuscript or ancient scrolls. See how beautiful it is? He's saying that repentance in Christ is going to lead to, it leads to a destruction. An erosion of the divine recording of sin. Your sin. White out. It's the first thing. The second thing. These people are told that from repentance, 
times of refreshing will come. What does that mean? Well, surely as he, as he stands there, Peter, beside this formerly crippled man, this man who's now walking and, and jumping for joy, surely times are refreshing. This is a reference to the spiritual mobility, the, the newness of life that is available in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, lastly, and most encouragingly, maybe of all, do you see that the crowd is told that if they repent, that will eventually lead to God sending his son again. That repentance leads to a new view, a glorious view of the, the parousia, the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, Peter's speaking here of Jesus' current pausing in heaven. He's speaking of this sort of temporary stopping over of Jesus in glory before he comes again. But what does he say that uh, Jesus will do when he comes again? Do you see it? We're told in verse 21 that when God sends Jesus Christ, Christ will restore everything. That Jesus Christ will restore everything. That not only is the speaker and the scripture is about Jesus, but the future is about Jesus. That the restoration is about Jesus. That the consummation is about Jesus Christ. That he will return. That Jesus of Nazareth will make his creation new again. That his people, us, will be transformed. That his city, the new Jerusalem, was going to happen. It's going to be inhabited. That his power that he's used to wipe away sin, that he's going to use that power again to wipe away any tears and any pain whatsoever. That his songs of glory are going to be sung. That his, his crowns of gold are going to be handed out. But at the end, that all attention... Attention from every single human being that has ever lived, all attention is going to be focused on the one person, unlike us, who actually deserves all the attention and all the focus and all the glory. The consummation is all going to be about him. Friends, all of that is the wondrous fruit that comes from repentance in Jesus of Nazareth. Now, have you turned from your sin? Have you done what Peter commands here? Do you see that your future and your hopes and your affections, that your everything that it all must be about Jesus Christ. Do you see that this morning? Because I tell you, the people that he was speaking to here, some of them saw it. Because in the next chapter, in verse 4, we are told that some saw and they believed. Do you see it this morning? Do you see that it is all about Jesus? And will you be saved? Please pray.